I sure hope you guys had a great weekend. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, I'm sorry. I'm starting on an upbeat note and I just have to share. Uh, <laughs> kind of a jerk thing to do, I realize. But I just, I, I, I blast from the past. Just um, someone mentioned this person and I looked and it's just really deeply rewarding as someone in radio and, and you know, all of us in radio have levels of insecurity, uh, but to realize that everyone who once told my boss that they could do a better job in radio than I am doing, uh, none of them are in radio anymore. And I'm still here doing well, uh, picked up a couple more stations as a matter of fact, in Tennessee and Montana. So well, we can begin the show on a bright note, but to begin the show on the bright note, we have to discuss something a little bit dour. Uh, I've got the details on the Schumer Mansion plan. It's not a good plan, by the way, uh, and will in fact raise taxes, uh, despite what the White House is saying. Let me give you some of the White House spin over the weekend on the Schumer Mansion plan. You need to know about the plan, uh, but here's the White House spin. This legislation is designed, um, this, those two pieces of legislation are designed to foster that kind of innovation investment that's going to create good jobs, and that's going to benefit American workers. Not all this money is going out immediately. There's not an indication that it will be inflationary in the short term. And again, there's lots of pieces that are going to help families um, re- uh, cope with high costs. And let's remember that the Inflation Reduction Act will be deficit reducing. So when you look at the macro economy, the one thing that people say time and time again is that if you don't want to you know, put add more fuel to the fire, let's make this at least deficit neutral, if not deficit reduction. And that's what the president has done, along with a record-breaking $1.7 trillion decline in, in deficits over the year. Now, Joe Manchin is the guy who, who led this, who backed it, who got it structured. And he made the rounds on the Sunday shows all weekend. Listen to this. John, I didn't change my not, my mind. I've never changed at all. This is fighting inflation. This is all about the, the absolute horrible uh, position that people are in now because of the uh, inflation cost, whether it be gasoline, whether it be food pricing, whether it be energy pricing. And it's around energy mostly. It's driving these high inflation. This is going to do take care of that because this is aggressively producing more energy to get more supply to get the prices down. That's what we're doing. But we didn't raise taxes, John. Didn't raise taxes. That's what he says. A little more from, from Manchin, who made the rounds. Well, John, let me just say, this is all about fighting inflation. That's what it's about. Inflation is just absolutely destroying families across West Virginia and across America. High price of gasoline just to go to work. High price of food just to maintain your, uh, sustain yourself during the day and, and every day for your family. And then the high cost of energy and any and everything else you want to do in life is taking a tremendous toll. That's what this is about. And this is, a, and this is an inflation reduction act. We're investing. We're not spending money. We're investing. We've taken a $3.5 trillion uh, aspirational bill. Uh, that I never could come to an agreement on any way, shape, or form, but I tried, couldn't get there. And we've taken $3.5 trillion of spending down to $400 billion of investing without raising any taxes whatsoever. That's what he says. Now, in response is Pat Toomey. Pat Toomey is the real deficit hawk, one of the original chairmen of the Club for Growth. Here's Pat Toomey. Well, it's going to make inflation worse, actually. Uh, so they've got a big corporate tax increase that's going to probably make this recession that we're in worse. All of this spending is unnecessary. It's going to exacerbate inflation. 
It is not going to reduce the deficit. And what did Senator Manchin get for this? Look, I'm a big fan of Joe Manchin. We are friends, as he said, and I like Joe very much, but I think he got taken to the cleaners. He's agreeing to all this bad policy in for, return for which he's been promised that there's going to be some kind of pro-energy infrastructure bill sometime in the future. Well, first of all, I thought we did that in the infrastructure bill. Secondly, what is the text? But most importantly, why isn't that in this bill? And the answer is because Democrats don't support it. So this is going to do a lot of harm, and, and there's not going to be a corresponding benefit. Toomey's right. Uh, Manchin has, has wanted uh, an energy infrastructure spending bill. The Democrats aren't going to put it in this bill because they don't think this can get passed, and they're not going to pass his bill. This is payback. Remember, progressives went along with the infrastructure bill. We need to step back in history to understand what's going on here. Uh, this is progressive payback for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema to a degree. By the way, we don't know if Kristen Cinema will go along with Joe Manchin's deal. But if you will recall, progressives wanted Build Back Better tied to the infrastructure bill. And they were told, if you will pass the infrastructure bill, we will pass Build Back Better. And so they voted against their will and against their, their better judgment for the infrastructure bill. And their Build Back Better was promptly canceled. It was killed by the Senate. Couldn't get through. They nearly scuttled infrastructure, but they didn't. They went along with it. So now what the progressives are telling Joe Manchin is, if you give us this, we will give you an energy infrastructure bill. They're going to stick it to Joe Manchin. All of us can see it coming. Probably even Joe Manchin can see this coming, and Joe Manchin doesn't care. There's a problem with the legislation, though, and we need not go to opinionators. We need not go to anything other than the bill itself and the outside independent judgment. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business has what they call a budget model. And according to the Penn Wharton budget model, let me read you their quote, the impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. The impact on inflation of Joe Manchin's proposed legislation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. It does not supposedly impact inflation until at the earliest 2031. What it does, however, is do what Democrats have argued. Remember modern monetary theory. It's the economic legislation, it's the economic proposals that collapsed because uh, they essentially predicted that inflation would never arrive, and here comes inflation. What modern monetary theory is, has argued is that uh, government can print its way out of every problem, we can print as much money as we need, and if inflation rises, instead of raising interest rates, you raise taxes. And so what Manchin intends to do is to put on a 15% minimum tax on corporate income. Now, what that means is we're not talking net income. We're talking gross income. So let me explain net and gross for those of you who don't know. Um, at the end of every month or every year, you make X number of dollars in salary. So let's say you make $100,000 in salary every year. When you subtract the taxes the Social Security, 
and all of that, uh, what you're left with is your net income. Your net income is lower than your gross income because gross income is your bottom line. Your your salary from your company says you make $100,000 a year. And then your net income is minus taxes, minus insurance costs, minus co-pays, all that stuff uh, that comes out of your paycheck. All that other stuff that comes out of your paycheck is what you're left with net. What the Mansion Sumer plan will do is say, what is your gross income corporations? Before all of your deductions, before all of your tax breaks, before everything, what is your income? Give us 15% of that. The problem here is that that means businesses will not be able to effectively deduct costs which means businesses will lower investments. Listen, if, if a business comes to your town and the business sets up shop in your town, the business gets to deduct those costs before paying taxes. Why? Because the business has come to town, they bought property, so now they're a property taxpayer. They have hired people, so now they're an employer creating jobs, and those employees will become taxpayers. So the business itself gets to deduct all of that stuff. Under this, the business won't be able to deduct any of that stuff until after they've given the government 15% of their money, which means businesses will slow their investments. They will have to recalibrate how they invest. That's not good. It's actually deeply um, tax negative. An analysis by the Joint Committee on Taxation found that 49.7% of the tax would hit American manufacturers at a time we're trying to get American manufacturers to come back from China. So essentially what has happened is that Congress looks like it's going to pass this chips legislation. This would be a subsidy to American chip manufacturers, microchip manufacturers. And now, in this legislation, they're going to take back the subsidy they've given in the other legislation, which is only going to incentivize companies going to China. Additionally, the Joint Committee on Taxation finds that uh, in order to pay for these things, most likely corporations will, one, raise prices, and two, cut salaries and hiring. So this will slow the economy. Again, that's why they think this is going to fight inflation. It's going to drive us into a recession without the Fed raising interest rates. That's probably actually what they want. They just can't say publicly we're passing this legislation to drive us into a recession. Here's everything you need to know about this legislation. It raises taxes on corporations that will have to pay taxes on their gross. They won't be able to make deductions first, which means they will lower hiring. They will cut salaries. They will raise prices. They will slow investment. Additionally, according to the Joint Committee on Taxation, taxes will go up for Americans earning less than $200,000 a year, contrary to the claims of the Democrats. Taxpayers between $200,000 and $500,000 will pay even more, and the upper-income Americans will actually not pay as much. Instead, their businesses will be taxed at the gross income rate not the net income rate. They will not be able to take deductions in order to offset their 15% minimum tax liability. That's going to have a negative economic impact. According to the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business economic model, this legislation shows no impact on inflation uh, or the um, or, or the national debt. Uh, in fact, their quote is, the impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero for this legislation. That's not me. That's the Wharton School of Business. What are the real world impacts for you with this legislation? 
the Senator Manchin, Senator Schumer plan will actually raise taxes on the middle class, even though they say it won't. The Joint Committee on Taxation says it will. It will not actually fight inflation except by slowing business investment because businesses will no longer allow to be um, taking investment deductions before paying a minimum 15% tax on their gross income. So they will slow hiring, they will slow salary raises, they will slow investment, and they will increase prices. So according to the Manchin-Schumer plan, all of your prices will go up, your salaries will go down, you will pay taxes even though they keep saying you won't pay taxes. It's actually in the plan. And a whole lot of the spending that's in the plan will become discretionary spending, which will actually contribute to inflation. They will not have the offsets that Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer claim. That's not me. That's not my opinion. That's not the opinion of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. That's the Penn Wharton budget model and the Joint Committee on Taxation say that this does nothing for inflation, will slow business investment, will slow the rise of salaries, will increase prices, and in fact, the middle class will be taxed more under this plan. The truth is... The Democrats want to raise your taxes because other than raising interest rates, tax increases on the middle class are the best way to fight inflation. They can't tell you that publicly, so they and their fact checkers are all saying there will be no tax increases. But if you bother reading the Joint Committee on Taxation's analysis, you will find the middle class is about to get slammed with a bunch of tax increases by Joe Manchin and the Democrats. And if you read the Penn Wharton business model for uh, budgets, it's not actually going to fix inflation. It's just going to send us into a recession. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California key. You will feel the difference, and they're 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hi there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. You can be on the program if you want to call in 877-973-7425. Uh, real quick, I want to just uh, say a thank you to those of you who are my Atlanta listeners and those around the country who did chip in. Uh, the uh, Aflac Cancer Blood Disorder Center, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, uh, WSB Radio, my flagship, raised over $1.8 million, $1.8 million for them. And I just got to praise again the work Ashley Frasca did in helping get it organized. She works with me at, at WSB and just tremendous talent and just wonderful, wonderful hard work getting all that done. It would not have come together but for her. 
Um, and I just, I, I'm delighted and really thankful to all of you guys from around the country. I know a lot of people got emails from some of you around the country who knew people who were impacted by CHOA and you, and you stepped up and you donated, even though you live nowhere near Atlanta, you know how much they help kids all over the country. So thank you very, very much. 1.8 some odd million. I don't have the rest of the numbers, but it was over 1.8. You can still give, um, at wspradio.com. Um, Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan. Good. The Chinese government is threatening World War III if little 80-something-year-old Nancy Pelosi lands in Taiwan. There have been other American, high-profile Americans who have gone, but they are really upset about the third in line to the presidency going to Taiwan. All of us should support the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives going to an island nation that is an ally and standing up to the communist Chinese. I'm a little disappointed in Donald Trump saying she shouldn't go. She's just going to make matters worse. No, when the Speaker of the House of Representatives wants to go to a freedom-loving people and offer the support of the United States, we should do that. Why are we being scared of China? Unfortunately, the Chinese are not scared of us. I mean, we're, we're having drag queen story hour on military bases now. We've gone, our military's gone woke. Why should they be scared of Joe Biden? And that's part of the problem here. Uh, the Chinese don't take us seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously anymore. Uh, but I, I will stand by the Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives, regardless of party, and say no American leader should be bullied or intimidated into avoiding a trip to a freedom-loving nation. And one of the worst things that we have to deal with and come to terms with in this country right now is so many Americans have kowtowed to the Chinese and have, in fact, gotten in bed with them. There's a story, Jerry Dunleavy over at Washington Examiner, the number of Republican and Democratic lobbyists who have been hired by TikTok, which is an intelligence front for the Chinese government. No one should be on TikTok. It is legitimately a Chinese government intelligence operation. They have, in fact, uh, caused leaks in China of your American kids' data. They're building facial recognition, among other things. The Chinese are increasingly a dangerous threat. We should stand up to them. We should take them seriously, but we should not be bullied by them. We should not be supporting them and their products. Our lobbyists should not be on their payroll, nor should our former members of Congress. And if the Speaker of the House wants to go, she should have all Americans' blessing and go speak for freedom around the world. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, uh, very, very happy to uh, get you on board if you want to be here. But we got other stuff we got to talk about, um, including, well, you know what? I want to take this first. Um, I, I This one, I, I've gone back and forth on this. The New York Times has a story. I know this is the New York Times. But 
it's actually, I think, a pretty big deal that this is in the New York Times because I can kill two birds with one stone on this story. The story's headline is how some parents changed their politics in the pandemic. They were once Democrats and Republicans, but fears for their children and the pandemic transformed their thinking, turning them into single-issue voters for November's midterms. Shira Frankel is the uh, author of this article. She is a prize-winning technology reporter based in San Francisco. Um, I don't even need to read you quotes from this story. This New York Times story does a couple of things that I think is, is fascinating. One, they put their pulse on exactly something that is happening in this country. And two, they completely, because of their own biases, misinterpret it in a way that will be to the Democrats' detriment in November. When I talk a lot about the bubble the Democrats and the media share, this is the sort of story I'm talking about. What the author does, what the New York Times does, is uh, talk about how parents are becoming radicalized over education. You know, let, let me just read you the opening here, actually. Orinda, California. They waved the sign that read, uh, defeat the mandates and no vaccines. They chanted, protect our kids and our kids, our choices. Almost everyone in the crowd of more than three dozen was a parent. And as they protested on a recent Friday in the Bay Area suburb of Orinda, California, they had the same refrain. They were there for their kids. Most had never been to a political rally before. But after seeing their children isolated and despondent early in the COVID pandemic, they despaired. On Facebook, they found other worried parents who sympathized with them. They shared notes and online articles, many of them misleading, about reopening of schools and the efficacy of vaccines and masks. Soon, they crowds began to grow. They interview a woman, Lisa Longnecker, 54 years old. She has a 17-year-old son. She said, I wish I'd woken up to this call sooner, but I can't think of a single more important issue. It's going to decide my vote. Ms. Longnecker and her fellow objectors are part of a potentially destabilizing new movement. Parents who joined the anti-vaccine and anti-mask cause during the pandemic, narrowing their political beliefs to a single-minded obsession over those issues. That really captures where they're headed with this. My children have gotten the COVID vaccine. My daughter spent uh, almost a week at a camp at Georgia Tech. All the kids had to be masked. If they came in and were not masked, they had to walk to the front of the room to a microphone and apologize and get a mask. Despite mandatory masking, COVID spread through the camp. My daughter wanted to come home on a Thursday instead of waiting until a Sunday. Two of the girls in her room got COVID. The girl whose room was immediately next to her. And then another girl who was in the room but was on the other side of the shared space. But they had all been hanging out. My daughter got COVID last year. My wife and I had been vaccinated. We did not get COVID. My kid 
got vaccinated, was never boosted, but got the the two-round vaccine last year. She did not get COVID from all the exposure from all the kids who had COVID. I think the mask work or the, the vaccine works. The mask clearly does not work. The vaccine did. Doesn't work as well, and it doesn't work in all cases, but it worked. Frankly, my wife got COVID despite having the vaccine and the boost, but she's immunocompromised and she got a far, far less serious case of it than a number of our friends did. I think it works. It doesn't work perfectly. It doesn't work to prevent it in some cases, uh, but it certainly works. Problem is masking doesn't work. And what masking does at this point is it degrades the ability of our kids to see facial expressions. It degrades their ability to learn. It degrades their ability to communicate. It degrades their ability to speak. It degrades their ability to pronounce. It degrades their educational quality. Uh, Long distance learning and video chat learning degrades their abilities. And then there's this. My children got the COVID vaccine because their mother is immunocompromised. My wife has lung cancer. We wanted to be extra cautious. But there is vastly, vastly, vastly more data out there now than there had been on kids. And guess what? Your kids don't need the COVID vaccine. We did, given our circumstances, but not everybody's in our circumstance. And your kid doesn't need it. And in fact, there's a lot of data that if your kids have gotten COVID, even with these other variants, uh, your kids are more able to fight them off. Now, I know someone who's gotten COVID twice, was fully vaccinated and boosted, after getting COVID and got it again. It, it Not in every case is it the same. It works differently in, a, in different people and scientists are struggling to figure all this out. But the bottom line is that your kids don't need the vaccine. If they get COVID overwhelmingly, unless they're morbidly obese or have serious uh, immunocompromised issues, your kids are gonna be fine. The problem with this New York Times piece is that overwhelmingly these parents take that position. They're not opposed to the vaccine. They just don't think their kids need the vaccine. So why get it? And what the New York Times does is it portrays these people as anti-vaxxers. It puts them in the same strain as the people who think uh, the MMR vaccine is going to give my kid autism, which isn't true, but there are people who believe it. Mostly on the left, by the way. Rich, upper-income lefties have for years believed the Hollywood celebrities who told them the MMR causes autism. It does not. To disparage these parents and make them some sort of vaccine truther when, in fact, overwhelmingly these parents are pro-vaccine, they just don't think their kid needs it, so why get it is absurd. The fact that they're lumping them in and and trying to double down on the masking is another absurdity. Now, I told you there were two things here. So this is the one. The New York Times shows you this story, and because of their own biases, they get it wrong. Now, here's the other side of what's going on here is that this is shaping the ideas of Democrats because they're in the same bubble together and they're totally going to miss what's actually happening. Now, the Times interviews a friend of mine, Nathan Lemer. He worked for the Federal Communications Commission during the Trump administration. He's now vice president of public affairs for Targeted Victory. 
He said Republican candidates were better positioned to attract these sorts of voters. He pointed to last year's surprise win in Virginia of Governor Glenn Youngkin, a Republican, after he gained the support of young parents by invoking their frustration over COVID-driven school closures. Even so, Mr. Lemer said, these parents are a wild card in November. The truth is we don't really know what these voters will do. Some of them will stay home. But a lot of these people will vote Republican one time only to punish the Democrats. And the New York Times trying to claim that there's some sort of massive wild card and it's all up in the air and we have no idea. No, actually, we got a pretty idea about these parents. They are concerned about their kids. Now, one of the key reasons here, and I don't know about this author, I have no idea about this author, but one of the major issues that you got to remember is that a lot of the people who don't care about the masks and think all kids should wear them and don't care about the vaccines and think all kids should get them and don't care about the school closures and think all kids should stay home and Zoom are the childless 30-something reporters who they don't understand parenting to begin with. Again, I don't know whether this reporter has kids or not. But overwhelmingly, the Democratic policymakers who are concerned about this stuff, they don't have kids. So they don't care. So they can look on these parents and think they're awful people and the Democratic bubble can continue to exclude and preclude them, people who have been Democratic voters, from voting Democrat. It's just, I mean, really interesting to watch how the New York Times can report this and completely misinterpret everything to disparage these parents. All right, let's go to the phones. Paul, you're going to be up first today. Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, I'm glad to have you online. I remember when you were on with Rush, you did a good job then. Thank you. You're doing a good job now. My question is this. If we, the government, are going to spend billions of dollars to help a private industry make microchips, why can't we say to them, we want 2% of your gross profit go back into the coffers of the American people. Why can't we do that? Well, but they kind of do. They they put even more than that in. Uh, if they come back to this country, instead of manufacturing in China, uh, they're going to be hiring American workers instead of Chinese workers. They're going to become American property taxpayers instead of Chinese property taxpayers. They're going to provide their intellectual capital to American businesses. Uh, they're going to grow land around where their plants are by providing other things. Uh, if you just say you've got to now hand over 2% of your profits, uh, what they're going to do, because they do have a profit motive here by being a free market um publicly traded but privately held company is they're going to decrease their investment by that percent. Wouldn't you rather them take that 2% that would go to the government to fund uh, woke drag queen um, library time at, at the military and instead have them invest that 2% in growing workers, growing wages, growing new entrepreneurs, growing new businesses, growing new employees, growing new factories? I mean, the private sector spends its money way better than the than the public sector. I don't necessarily know that we should be giving them subsidies to come home because the fact of the matter is they're gonna they're going to um, wage rates will be higher. People will be paid more. The cost of the chips will go up. But we do need to try to incentivize divesting these people out of China. We need to get them out of China. 
And if the solution is to bring them back home and do this here and, and bring back not just the labor, but the skill set, this reminds me of the nuclear power industry. You know, in Georgia, there is, they're building something called Plant Vogel. It is the only active nuclear power plant project in the United States. Think about that. The only active nuclear power plant project in the United States is a single nuclear power plant in Georgia. And it is behind schedule and over cost. And the chief reason for that is because we lost all the intellectual capital in this country on how to build them. Most of the major nuclear power engineers who built nuclear power plants, dead. They're old. They died. And a lot of the the brain power went to China and Russia where they're continuing to invest in and build nuclear power plants. It is in this country that we just lost all of that intellectual capital. So to some degree, I do see the national security interest in paying these chip manufacturers to come back to the United States. Their labor costs will be higher, but they will be incentivizing Americans learning these skill sets instead of Chinese, domestically manufacturing these things. So if there's a war, we can still get access to them. Uh, and uh, they become property taxpayers and sales taxpayers and the like in local communities in the United States. So they're putting well more than that 2% back. And they'll spend that 2% better than the Congress ever would or the government ever would in general. I don't know why we would want to bring a private manufacturer back to the United States, knowing it's going to increase their cost to come back here, and then say, okay, great, now give us 2% of your gross. It's a terrible, terrible idea if you were a private company to go through with that. One of the great companies that is fighting for common sense, the free market, the conservative movement, the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement is Patriot Mobile, and they come up with a genius way of doing it. So they're a cell phone company. They give you guaranteed service so you don't have to worry about uh, your coverage. They have the same towers everybody else uses. In fact, Congress passed a law called the uh, MVNO Mobile Virtual Network Operator Law, uh, and uh, so Patriot Mobile gets to use the cell towers the big monopolies put up. And they get to use those cell towers and provide you a unique service. And their unique service is this. If you use Patriot Mobile, you get that same great service you get everywhere else, but they dedicate a portion of their profits to the causes you care about. So the Second Amendment, pro-life movement, the conservative cause, they fund it. And they fund it by growing their profits. And to grow their profits, they've got to give you great customer service so that you move to them. So you're going to get it. All you got to do is call them, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, you get free activation. Or you can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. In fact, if you do that, go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Not only do you get free activation, but you can see a detailed map down to your house. So you see, you get 5G, you get voice, you get data. It's all right there on Patriot Mobile's website, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. And know that portion of the profits they generate by you being a customer go to the causes you care about and you get guaranteed great service well the president's covid has rebounded you know um it's worth noting that president biden when president trump was president would attack him for not doing everything his doctors had ordered when president trump got covid and president biden has not done the things his doctors requested and now his COVID has rebounded. What I actually find remarkably funny is the very truly, obviously coordinated uh, media reports. So I think it was Reuters. Uh, I know the New York Times ran one. I think Politico did and a couple of others about the wind is finally at Biden's back. 
He's overcome COVID. He's got Joe Manchin where he wants him. He's going to get a deal and things are going good and the generic ballot is moving in their favor. Yay! No guarantee Kristen Sinema will go along with the deal, though she probably will cave. But as COVID has rebounded and the Republicans are still ahead in the generic ballot and there's new polling from CBS News we will get into in the next hour that is brutal for the Democrats. So the wind isn't really at their back. It's just, it was amazing. You know, so there are these progressives in the media who have been pushing the story for the last year. Oh, the media, they really hate Joe Biden. They really hate him. Uh, No president has ever had such nasty negative press. Really? Donald Trump would like a word. And they they really, genuinely, truly, they, they, they pushed this story that the press was really after Joe Biden. And then to see so many members of the press, clearly there is a Slack channel or a group chat somewhere where they they, they came up with this because all of them were using phrases like, the wind is at Biden's back. You could almost hear the theme song to the Titanic. Uh, pay no attention when they pan the camera. There's an iceberg straight ahead. Uh, it just, uh, it, it was obvious. I mean, the man continually falls on his face. They've done it again. His COVID has rebounded. He completely ignored all the doctor's advice, uh, gets the COVID rebound. And by the way, uh, we don't know, did his COVID really rebound or did the uh, antivirals that he was on just suppress the levels so that they weren't detected by the test? And once he got off of them, uh, the levels rebounded. It's not really a rebound per se of COVID. It's that it never got out of a system to begin with. It was still there. It just didn't didn't muster on the test. And now here here we go. The president back in quarantine, feeling fine. He says uh, maybe he'll realize it, it's not that bad. And I got to tell you, if eighty uh, year old dementia patient Joe Biden can survive COVID, you can too. More likely than not, uh, maybe it's time to stop being scared of a virus. I mean, the bicycle did more damage to Joe Biden than COVID is, so why should any of us really be scared of COVID? Time to open up and live our lives and take the masks off and treat it just like the common cold, which is very much what it's becoming.